would like to teach on. So would you turn with me to Acts chapter 24, please. Acts chapter 24. Before we dive in, let's look to our Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again, Lord, that your word is clear. Thank you, Lord, that your word is sure, that it will not pass away. Thank you, Lord, that um, what you have written will most surely come to pass. Heaven and earth could pass away, and the, the heavens and the earth will pass away, but your word will not pass away until all things have been fulfilled. Everything has to be fulfilled precisely as it is written. And so, Lord, as we, with that understanding and with that, the joy in our heart from that, help us now to look at your word and understand some basic things uh, about timing from your word. For we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, starting in verse 13 of Acts chapter 24. And behold, two of them, the antecedent of the word them, there are believers, two of them, were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things which had taken place. Background of this, of course, Jesus had died and risen. There were reports that he had risen again. I said Acts. But what I really should have said was Luke 24. Sorry about that. There was a look of general perplexity, and I thought, well, I need to explain this better. But it actually, it's, I need to say it right. Luke chapter 24. So Jesus had just died and risen again. And uh, people were in the process of responding to that. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these things that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking and said, One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, By the way, why aren't any of you parents naming your kid Cleopas? Okay. Answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened there in these days. And he said unto them, What things? And he said unto him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who is a prophet, mighty indeed, in word and sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to, watch that, redeem Israel. Redeem Israel. Hmm. Okay, they were expecting he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it was the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things 
and to enter into his glory. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. What was their problem? Was it that they were uh, unbelievers? No. Was it that they were spiritually and that they were biblically illiterate? No. They actually had uh, a pretty good handle on things. What was it? Well, they were slow to believe, underline it in your mind at least, everything that was written. What had they believed? Well, it says in the text there that what they had, were expecting is that God was going to, and it's translated the word redeem, but it means deliver, deliver with finality the nation of Israel. You're going, where would they have gotten that? What was their expectation? And that was the problem, is that here they were, they were looking at all of the evidence, the data about this Jesus, and there was something that wasn't quite working for them because <clears throat> there was widespread and generalized teaching about what the Messiah was going to accomplish when he came to earth and when he began to do ministry on earth. And one could end up scratching their wee noggin and say, Pourquoi? Where in the world would, where in the world would they get an idea like that? Well, just so that we understand this passage a little better, and we understand the mindset of the Jewish people and what their expectations were, would you turn with me to, for example, Isaiah chapter 2. I've spent about four years, a little more than that, uh, teaching through the book of Isaiah, phrase by phrase, passage by passage. We're now at, I think, Isaiah 57, and uh, I'm hoping to do that before I pass away, finish. I, I'm thinking I might finish it this year. But anyway, let's take a few uh, highlights. Those of you who have gone through that study with Isaiah understand something as we've gone through over and over again. The, the uh, predictable refrain would be, God says, you folks are named by my name. You're supposed to be followers of me. You have covenanted to follow me and you're not following me. Therefore, judgment is coming, O house of Israel. And then it would go into a long discussion of, of the various ways that you're going to fall into judgment. And then always coming back and says, oh, but I'm also going to gather you back into the land. I'm going to put a new heart into you. You as a nation are going to be converted. I will come and dwell right there personally in your midst in Jerusalem. And I will rule over you. You will be my people. And you will say out of a heart of volunteer and gratefulness, you are my God. Instead of all of the other gods that they were following. So we see that over and over again in the book of Isaiah. Almost every chapter. And we see that over and over again as you go through the minor prophets. The only minor prophet that I can see detect that doesn't have that element would be probably Jonah. But every one of the prophets, major and minor, also continue this refrain. It's a consistent refrain. But let's take some high points. Isaiah chapter 2. The word of which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Pause. One of the things that we need to do so that we don't have 
eisegesis, where we're reading into something, is, and we want to do exegesis, understand the text and take our understanding out of that, is we have to understand what was in the mind of the author. Authorial intent. So, what did Isaiah intend? And so, this is back in about the 7th century B.C. When Isaiah wrote and said these two words, this is the word of the, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, what would that have inevitably, predictably, and exclusively produced in the mind of the hearers, which were also in the 7th century? Would they be thinking of some place in Alabama? Would they be thinking of, this could be the, the island of Iceland. No, this is something to do with, the only thing that people would interpret from this is, this is something that's going to happen to Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord, full pause, what's that? The mountain of the house, well, where was the house of the Lord? Uh, there wasn't a Baptist church on every street corner, like in Alabama. Uh, what is the, the singular house of the Lord? Well, there was only one house of the Lord. There's only one temple. And that had to be in this geographic location that has ended up being the area that Jerusalem sprouted up around. But it was the hill the hill, the Mount Zion, and this was the place where the temple was built. In fact, it could be the only place that the temple was built. It was, this, this place had a long history. The first time we see this place in history, we have Abraham going off into a mountain. And he is taking his son, his, what was he was supposed to be conceiving of, and and understanding as his only son Isaac and offering up him up as a sacrifice. What was that mountain? This mountain. Mount Zion, the very mountain. And, and you all know the story. What Abraham was asked to do, Jesus did, or God did in the person of Jesus. And that occasion he was asked to offer up his only son uh, as, a, as a sacrifice and then about, in that case, about 1,700 years later, God the Father really did offer up his son on this very place. But anyway, the only place that this could be ever anywhere in the, in the universe on earth would be Zion. So it'll come about in the last days in the mount of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. The first thing he says here is there's only one way you would take this. It isn't understood figuratively. It is spoken of and very, very geographic. And it's talking about there is going to be an alteration of the elevation. So, and, and if you just took it as, as what the words are, that's exactly what you would understand. There's going to be some sort of a geographic change in that location. So, it'll be uh, raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Hebrew word here for nations is the word goyim. 
And, and uh, that is the Hebrew term, the, what the Jewish people would call non-Jewish people, Gentiles. We are the Goyim. And he says, something's going to happen here. People are going to be streaming into the temple. And we're going, but, but that's not allowed. There were big signs posted on the temple. If you are a Gentile, you can come this far and no more. You're not allowed onto, onto this ground by the command of the Lord. Here Isaiah is saying, they're going to be streaming in. All the nations, all of them are going to be streaming. All of the Goyim, all of the Gentiles. And many peoples will come and say, and, and the word peoples there is talking about people groups. It's the term for fellow countrymen. In other words, ethnic groups. Unfortunately, uh, with our current terminology, you'd use the word races, which is misunderstood because there's only one race, it's human. But anyway, every ethnic group will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. At this point in time, uh, if there are 60 um, commentaries on the book of Isaiah out that are probably in print, probably in the 60s of them, they'll be saying, oh, this is, this is heaven. This has to be talking about heaven. And, and that's a bit of a head scratch. Either they're saying this is heaven or this is something that already did happen. Okay, they got only two. And what we're going to find out is that there's a third option. It isn't heaven, the eternal state. It's not something that is in our past. It is something yet future, but it is something different than the eternal state, heaven. Let's go and see why. It says, um, and many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Is anything described like that in the eternal state? No. Talks about a new Jerusalem, but not this. And then it says that he may teach us concerning his ways. Are we expecting that people who are in heaven, as the Irish would say, in heaven with the door locked, in heaven, in the eternal state, that they're all of a sudden going to be going, man, we need to go to Bible study. We need to know who this God is. Is, is that going to be happening? They're going to be going, man, we, we're applying we're, we're ignorant about what's going on here. Uh, we, we need some instruction. Is that something that would be uh, happening in the... No. First John says, when we get to heaven, we will know even as we are known. Okay? There's not going to be a situation where there's a deficiency of us knowing about God. Here these people are going up and they're saying, let us, uh, he will teach us concerning his ways that we may walk in his paths, meaning... From here on in, we need to follow him. Are there people in heaven going, oh, man, we've been following our own way. We've been doing our own thing. But now, hey, let's look at this. Maybe we could start following. The, is that a heaven thing? No. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, the goyim, the the Gentile peoples and will render many decisions render decisions for many peoples 
So he's going to be judging about the, what we're talking about here is international diplomacy. What do you mean? In heaven? There's going to be need for international diplomacy between nations? No. But the millennial kingdom there will be. Millennial kingdom there will be. We go on. For they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Okay, so uh, in heaven, are there a whole bunch of people who are running around with swords? And they go, okay, maybe we should put the sword away. I don't know. They, they all seem a bit peace-loving around here. Maybe we'll, we'll, maybe we'll park the sword. No, this is talking about conditions on the earth, okay? They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not rise up, uh, will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Okay, so that's an interesting promise. Has that ever come to pass in the past? Most people would say no. Is this something in the eternal state? No. But if it is written, it is something yet to be anticipated and expected. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 65. And it's talking a little bit more, and we're skipping over a whole bunch of passages that talk about this, but we're just taking the high points. Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing in her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And again, uh, when this was written in the 7th century, using those terms, what is the inevitable thing that would be brought to people's mind? Can he all of a sudden change the values of that and say, well, this is actually... For example, the church. No, this, uh, this was written and, and, and what was going to be inevitably produced by the author, would, the, the meaning would be that this is talking about Jerusalem. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad over my people, verse 19, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. And now we go on. We go, so this is heaven has this already happened no uh, we haven't hap had it where there is no longer crying in fact uh, as we speak as you know there's a war going on in the Middle East and if I have time and I motor along pretty good I'll talk about where um, it actually says how that's all going to end but we'll get to there maybe he says no longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. There is going to be a complete reversal of any infant mortality. First question, has that ever happened? Second question, is this heaven? Where they're having babies and uh, none of those babies die, is that heaven? No. This is the third option. This is the millennial kingdom, okay? The kingdom that we're going to be talking about in the morning worship service. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. Um, in heaven, are there going to be people walking around with a walker? You know, they're kind of doing the thing, and they're going, 
Oh, look at the old guy. Is, is that what heaven is going to be? Is that the glorified body you're going to get? You know? Um, no, this is talking about people who are still in creation, are still experiencing to some extent in their bodies the influ- influence of entropy and aging, the natural thing of, ent- uh, of entropy and aging. They are still experiencing, although it's changed somewhat, the idea that they're going toward dying, which was something that happened because of the sin of Adam. So we have, there won't be an old man who does not live out his days. In other words, oh, by the way, in heaven, will you have a set number of days? In heaven, when you get to heaven, is it going to be, oh, good news, you're going to make it to the age of 200, and then you're going to die. Is that what heaven is for you? Well, here, there's people who are going to have a terminus naturally in their life. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. In other words, the only reason why you wouldn't make 100 is because you have been brought under, for some reason, judgment. Oh, so there are people dying, and there are people being brought under judgment during this time, during this place. The only thing that fits is the kingdom age of Israel, the millennial kingdom They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Uh, Again, talking about natural life, uh, a rural life that is going on in Israel. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. In other words, they're not going to get chased off their land and chased off their crops. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My people are going to live as long as trees. And, and most of us will look at that and go, wow, that's generally speaking a fairly long time. There's a little bit of a thing in my head that goes off and go, but young man, Howard, um, a few years ago on my front yard of the house that I built, I planted a little sapling. And I drove by it the other day and it's a tree. And I go, oh dear. Um, I'm older than that tree, and that looks like a real tree. I just bought it, yes. Sorry, a house that I used to live in. Uh, but I planted this tree, and, and I'm older than it, and it looks like a real tree. But what he's talking about here are trees like in uh, Cyprus and so forth that are hundreds and hundreds of years old. People are going to go back to living lives like pre-flood. Incredible. In fact, there's an expectation that you're just going to keep on living and living and living like Methuselah, okay? That you're going to live long lives. And again, this is not something that has happened yet. And it isn't heaven either. It's a different. Um, And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. In other words, they'll build something and use it long enough to wear it out. And again, That doesn't sound like what's going on in heaven. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. In other words, any of the children that they bear are not going to come to some sort of harm or come to where they die uh, inappropriately or by by some sort of tragedy. But there are definitely people who are in Jerusalem 
where the Lord is right there among them, and they are having children. And that is a major problem if you don't understand that there is going to be a time where Jesus will reign on the earth in an earthly kingdom before heaven. If you don't have that part in your head at some point, what you have to do is you have to either spiritualize or allegorize all of these passages away, and you can't take them in a hundred cents on the dollar. I would encourage you, take them a hundred cents on the dollar, because heaven and earth might pass away, but God's word will never pass away without all things being fulfilled. Okay, so for thee, they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord. Okay, so this is a time where not heaven, but a future golden age, and uh, they're going to be bearing children and their descendants with them. Verse 24, and it'll come to pass that before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. There is immediate back and forth communication. Well, why? Well, he says early in the passage, I'm right there. You want to hear from the Lord? Just walk over, talk to him. The Lord, the Yahweh, is right there. And he is right there in the person of the Messiah. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. Not graze on one another. They will graze together. And you go, well, that is, that can't, you can't take that serious. Because lions are carnivores. They can't eat, uh, they can't eat plants. Well, number one, they can. Uh, number two, they did uh, before the fall. And number three, if the Messiah is there, the one who created heavens and earth, he can recreate them so that they aren't eating each other. And that's the point of this, is that there is going to be a reversal of the law of tooth and claw during this period of time. If you were thinking, do you know something? I think we're in that time. Go ahead, smear yourself with bacon grease and go camping at Jasper in some place where there's uh, a whole bunch of grizzlies. See how that turns out for you. Uh, we're still living in a time of the, the law of tooth and claw. Anyway, the wolf and the lamb will, will graze together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And by the word straw, he means organic matter. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So the idea that the, for example, the evolutionists and the uh, people who are into uh, the idea of um, whatever is going on in the environment and what was in the natural environment, that's apex and that's perfect and that's the way it's supposed to be, are wrong. All of creation is laboring under the curse. And uh, he says here, there, when the Messiah comes back, not only will he change his people, not only will he change the political fortunes of, of Israel, he is also going to change even the natural order. And we find that all of the things that were lost in the fall, including the beauty and the splendor of the um, original garden, even lost creatures are going to be restored during this time. And so we're going to be able to see animals that have been lost. And they won't be behaving unruly in case you were wondering, how is that going to work with T-Rex? Okay, let's turn really quickly to Zechariah chapter 8.
Zechariah chapter 8. If you want uh, further on this, excellent book, Zechariah. Guess what that book's about? By Dr. John MacArthur. Does a wonderful verse by verse through that and, and works through the nitty gritty of the details. And, and here's the beautiful thing is if you take it all literally, all the nitty gritty details do work out. Okay, and you're not having to explain away passages. You just explain passages. But let's turn to uh, Zechariah chapter 8. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, verse 1, verse 2, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the, the God who is the one who is ruling over the angel army, he says when he's saying Lord of hosts. I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath I am jealous for her. Thus saith the Lord, I will return, I personally will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And again, full pause. When the people in, in this case now, the 4th or 5th century are hearing this, using those terms, what would those terms, the world is full of words, choosing these words, what would that have produced in the minds of the hearers? Well, very definitely, that he's going to dwell right there in the midst. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of age. And again, let's go back. Is this heaven? Are you expecting that in heaven you're just certainly going to get old and you'll be toddling about using your cane because of age? No, this is something where you don't have a, a resurrection body. You don't have a glorified body. You still have a human body. But there he is, the Lord, God says, living right there in Jerusalem in Zion. And what do people do with this? Well, they say, well, in Jerusalem in Zion means sort of like-ish the church. God is dwelling right there in the church. Ish. Kind of. Um, we don't actually go up and talk to him, but, you know, sort of ish. And, and, and then, well, what do we do with this thing about the old age? Ah, uh, and, and, yeah, it gets, it gets a little hazy as to what goes on, unless you take it literally. During the time of the golden age of Israel, when he comes back and rules right there amongst his people, physically present in Jerusalem, you will have people who are aging. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets. There we go again. We've got kids being born. Kids being born. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, because some people say, well, that just doesn't make sense. I, I, don't, I don't think that it doesn't make sense that God would do that. Almost like he anticipated that, he says. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if it's too difficult in the sight of the remnant of his people in those days, would it also be too difficult in my sight? Even though people say, I don't, think, I don't think that sounds reasonable. I don't think God would pull that off. He says, is it too difficult for me to do? Do you think? Do you think I couldn't do that? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I'm going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth. 
and in righteousness. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Let your hands be strong, you who listen in those days to the words of the mouth of the prophet, those who spoke in the day, and so forth. He goes on. Anyway, um, there's going to come a day where physically, physically present, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be living in the land and ruling over his people. And uh, those of you who have gone through the book of Isaiah realize how often that is promised. And if he promises it that frequently, and he says so in words that cannot be misunderstood, and, and there's no intimation that you need to allegorize it, and it would produce in their mind this is uh, those particular thoughts and beliefs, you have to say, I'm, I'm expecting that that is what God's going to do. And, and, and when you get into, for example, the New Testament, and Jesus speaks about prophecy, which we're going to begin going into a section on in the book of Luke, you'll find he takes everything literally. He talks about, uh, like in the days in the future, it's going to be uh, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel. Oh, you mean that's literal? Yeah, that's literal, and it's yet future. So you see that uh, the Lord, when he's interpreting these passages, again, takes it flat out literal, straight up. Okay, I said we've got just about four minutes. What in the world is going to happen in the Middle East? Those of you who are aware of what's going on in the Middle East right now, you have an alliance. You have an alliance of two major groups that are working, Hamas and Hezbollah, right? And, and what it is, is we have this nation of Israel who are Jewish people. Uh, are they following the Lord? Are they following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No, they're not. Okay? And some people would say, you know, um, as a matter of fact, because they are not following the Lord, they have no right to the land. They have, and, and they have forsaken the um, protection of the Lord because they have rejected the Lord. Well, hold the phone on that one just a little bit. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 19. What is going to happen in the next weeks and months? I can say that with absolute clarity. I have no idea. Because the word of God doesn't go into that. But it does say here's what the outcome is going to be. Here's some things that I can tell you that are going to be for sure. The Israeli people are not going to get wiped out. It is the firm determination of those groups, the Palestinian groups, that not just that you would move off and take a different land, that the Jewish people be wiped out. Because pure Islam insists on the absolute extermination of all Israeli people. They say that they were the descendants of Abraham, and they were, through Ishmael. And they say, what we have to do, we have a, a sacred mission to wipe out all of the uh, people who were from the uh, descendants of Isaac. That is their religious perspective, okay? And so what's going on now is just an outgrowth of that. Uh, what you have is you have a, um, a, a uh, coalition that is developed between 
people who are, for example, in Syria, who are in Egypt, again, all Muslim places, and in Iran, Iraq, that whole area. Uh, and, and they are all tent on wiping out Israel, okay? And so that's actually one of the things that is talked about in the Old Testament as things that are going to come to pass. So we know that things are right on course and that they are not successful. Does it mean that Israel will not in a short term be, these Israeli people be pushed off the land on this particular time? No, we don't know that for sure because we don't know the time frame. We do know that the Israeli people will at the time of the end be back in their land and it will really be the children of Israel. They will be Jewish. And here's what's going to happen uh, to, for example, here is a uh, prophecy that was directed toward Egypt. He says, um, here's the end of during that time, that golden age of Israel. Here are some of the things that are called, verse 19, Isaiah 19. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. An altar to the Lord in the land of Egypt. Uh, question, has there ever been an altar to the Lord in the land of Egypt? No. And you go, well, maybe. Maybe at some point in time they were allowed to have a synagogue there. Absolutely no. There's never been, but he's saying there will be, an altar to the Lord in the land of Egypt. And a pillar to the Lord near its border. So that when you walk in, there's this pillar that says, we are dedicated to the Lord. Really? In Egypt? Mm -hmm. In Egypt. Wow. It will become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the, in the land of Egypt that they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors and he will send them a savior and a champion and he will deliver them. In other words, is, Egypt is going to be under fire and that's not heaven and, and that's not something that happened in the past. He is going to send a champion and you'll notice here that the champion and the savior is the one and only our savior, the Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. Thus the Lord will make himself known to Egypt and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, in that day. They will even worship and sacrifice and offering and will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking but healing, so that they will return to the Lord and he will respond to them and will heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Where is that? Iran, Iraq. There's going to be some sort of a super highway, a, a means by which you can easily transverse and go back and forth. And uh, boy, how many times probably six or seven times in the book of Isaiah, it talks about this highway. Uh, the Lord is going to build this highway. He says it over and over again. Follow that through if you like. Follow that um, train of thought. And the Assyrians will come into Egypt and the Egyptians into Assyria. And the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. What's he saying here? These two groups, Egypt, which includes all of northern Africa, and Assyria, the Middle East, all of them are going to be partnering, partnering on equal footing with Israel, worshiping 
the Lord. You want to know how this ends? That's how it ends. This is how it ends. In the golden age of the earth, in the golden age of Israel, all of these nations that are currently on a death wish to the extermination of Israel, they are all going to be one-third parties. And it'll be a blessing in the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. God is going to redeem. How this is going to end? God is going to redeem the people of North Africa. God is going to redeem the people of the Middle East. And they will be worshiping the Lord on the earth. That's where it's going to end. Okay, we're out of time. Um, if you want a little more information on that, here's a really good book by Zechariah. And if you're interested in doing the study of Isaiah, it's, there's a whole bunch of them online. And I'll uh, reference many books there. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for this time, for the surety of your word. Um, thank you, Lord, that you are going to reign on the earth. Uh, and, and that our Lord and Savior that we are so delighted to submit to is one day going to be, the whole world will be joined together with that affirmation. We look forward to that day and we say, believers of all ages, even so, Lord, come. And uh, Lord, we commit ourselves and the following service into your hands afresh. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>